we're in Hebrews chapter 12 still, and uh, I want to look at the last verse with you. So last week we looked at the uh, the destination, the, the, the destiny that is a part of the new covenant. And one of the reasons that I'm as passionate about the new covenant as I am is it's it's the government of God over us right now. You've heard me say that a lot. And there isn't another one to appeal to. So if we don't if we don't understand and don't give ourselves to the new covenant, we're going to miss a lot of participatory kind of blessing and, and structure. So uh, it says that uh, in, in, but you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to the myriad of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel. So then we're admonished not to refuse that. And, um, there's really no place in any, anywhere that I've taught in the new covenant so far in the last little while that I think is going to point out whether we're thinking rightly or wrongly more than this particular passage that we're going to get down to. So it, it, in verse 25, it says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us in heaven. And his voice shook the earth in, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Then there's a semicolon. Then it says, for our God is a consuming fire. And so I want, it, I want you to ask yourself a question. When you heard me read that passage or when you reflected on reading it yourself, did you receive that as a warning? Okay, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but how we understand the scripture is is uh, dependent upon how we think about God, almost exclusively. And so, this is kind of a frightening sounding thing here at the end. It says, uh, our God is a consuming fire. Let me back up though. Therefore, therefore, speaks back about this idea that we literally have been given access to heaven. We have a great cloud of witnesses that are on our side. We can literally come before the throne of God. Remember Hebrews 4 says, therefore, because we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens and has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities yet without sin, let us come boldly before the throne of God to receive mercy, which in that language literally means forgiveness. And if you don't, don't believe me, go back and read the prophecy foretold in Jeremiah that was the new covenant, said, I will forgive their sins and find grace to help in time of need. So there's a ton of positive things that are being declared about our relationship with God. And we have a tendency to lose track of them if 
we see everything is warning. So uh, this says, therefore, because of all that stuff and because things are going to be shaken, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, it just said a, a whole bunch of stuff's going to be shaken, even the things in heaven. But since we receive a kingdom in Christ that cannot be shaken, that's positive, isn't it? That's positive. Let us show gratitude. What a simple response. There's a little bit of a secret sauce in this word, though, that's kind of cool. Let us show gratitude. Let us be thankful. Let us be gracious. By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. All right? Now, how many of you have at one point in your life or another, wondered, stressed out, lamented over, am I worshiping God properly? Am I serving God enough? Am I doing that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, everybody has. The answer to that question is pretty interesting. The answer to that question is be grateful. Thank him. Thank you, Father. I developed a habit a long time ago, which I am so personally grateful that it happened because it has accrued to a benefit in my life well, well, well beyond anything I understood. I have journaled for a very, very long time and uh, very frequently. And I would say that 99 plus percent of my journal pages start with something like, Father, thank you for today. Now, when I originally did it, I didn't have this scripture in mind. I had the one, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That was really why I started. But it developed into a habit. So it's Papa now, sometimes. Uh, God, thank you. Uh, it's rarely God, unless I'm in, in a mood to address sort of in magisterium the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because usually it's Papa or Father or Jesus or something along those lines. But it, it just has really, really, really made me, over the course of the years, enormously confident in the love of God for me. So I would encourage you that this is true, that with all that we're being offered and all of the unbelievableness that is potentially attached to it because we're seeing heaven, we're interacting with people, we're praying and seeing miracles and all this kind of stuff, just be grateful. Now, the, the secret in this word is it's made up of, of, of uh, two words. One means to have or to hold, uh, to experience, and, and to give. And the other one is charis. Grace. And so the definition of grace is expanded by this passage of Scripture and all the translations in understanding, but it's always kind of what, what we're there. So it says, have grace. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but when I dug into that and found out that that's what it says, and realized that the semantic range of the word includes thanksgiving and other stuff like that, that expanded grace in my mind. So not only can I get grace, but I can have grace too. Not, you know, like Jesus said, um, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So now I can have his peace and then it can become my peace. Uh, we love, we're going to see this in just a second, because he first loved us. So, Grace is the same kind of thing? Yes. 
Grace is not just something that God gives you because you messed up. Grace is something he invites us into in relationship with him, and now we have the capacity to extend that, to have it, to be grateful about it, and to extend it in our thanksgiving and our mercy. Okay? Just a thought. A cool one. Then we get to this part. So you get my point. Unless we just are constantly looking on the, on the negative side of things, this is a pretty positive passage of Scripture. And then it says this, uh, that, that that is by which we may offer to God an acceptable service and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so everything that I just talked about, which I think is worth talking about, um, leads up to this point, and I want to um, do my best to talk to you about who God is based on this passage of Scripture. Because for those of you that have been here a long time, you might have heard me say this before. I had an extraordinary study experience one time, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me somewhere, and I didn't exactly know where it was going to go. But I wanted to know who God was. I wanted to know what the what the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, said about it. And I chose to dig around in the New Testament because... I was confronted, for some reason, I don't even remember the particulars, I was confronted with uh, who God was out of the Old Testament, who God was when Israel was exiled, who God was when the ground swallowed Korah. You know, and there was just all this extrapolation about who God was. But I found that there are only four places in the New Testament that says God is and is then followed by a noun. Only four. Now, there's a number of places that talk about what God does, talk about what he's like, but those are all adjectives and adverbs, and I'm not saying they aren't inspired, and I'm not saying that God isn't those things, but there is a big difference between describing a person or a thing with a noun and describing them with a verb or an adverb or a gerund or another particle of speech. And so I thought, and I, I just if I felt so strongly in my spirit, Lord, these nouns about you, they're really who you are. They're, they're the essence of who you are. They're not what you do. They're who you are. And so this is one of those four places. And I don't think I put these in necessarily order, but what I wanted to get across with that thing is we cannot truly understand what we see or hear God doing unless and until we know who God is. Because if, if some bully on your neighborhood uh, comes and grabs you by the arm, you're going to interpret that entirely different than if your mom comes and does that as you're stepping off the curb even though you may not recognize immediately what she's doing. Because you know that your mom loves you, and you're not sure, matter of fact, you doubt seriously that the bully does. So it, it, it plays into every interpretive action. And the more I talk to people about how they interpret what God does, the more I realize that most people don't know who he is. And I want us to know who he is, because I want you to be free to listen to God and to act with him and to create expectations and to interpret what you think is going on. 
I've not seen it more prominent than in the last few months with the COVID thing. Because if you don't know who God is, you're free to assign all sorts of blame to him, cause it, and, and everything like that. Or you're free to say, well, why aren't you doing something? Or you're free to concoct a million different reasons why things are the way they are. But if you know who God is, really know, and you're not just guessing by, by watching descriptions of things that he's done or said or something along those lines, then I think we have an advantage. So that's what my goal is. So, God is a consuming fire. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for God, our God is a consuming fire. Now, consuming is uh, an uh, adverb, I believe. But God is fire. Fire is a noun. Now, the others don't even have a, an intervening modifier. So God is fire, all right? God is fire. Can you believe that? Yeah, okay, good. God is spirit. Now, this is the, the first one mentioned in the Bible. This is in John chapter 4, uh, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. You'll be familiar with it. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. Yes, sir. Um, how does this correlate with Acts chapter 2, where the spirit comes on people in mm -hmm. flame? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so one, one way it correlates is that... Um, that whole this whole connection and that connection was one that was in the early church councils that led them to believe and come to understand that the Holy Spirit in fact was God. Absolutely, absolutely, and so you bet. So uh, as you begin to see, see the significance of these God is statements, then all of a sudden you've got room in your heart now to have a, a better understanding of something basic like the Trinity. And and uh, yeah, so now that that's a good that's a good question. We're going to get to it in just a second. A, a place to ask those questions because if we can settle in our mind that God is, and Spirit is one of the things, then all of a sudden we can begin to understand how He's dealing with people, uh, why He's dealing a certain way, you know, all kinds of stuff. I think we can anyway. We can grow in our knowledge of Him better. Now let me let me. So so far we we've got that God is fire and God is Spirit. God is light is the next God is revelation. Remember, there's only four. Only four. God is light. That's in 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So God is fire, spirit, and light so far. Now, uh, I just want to whet your appetite for a possible... Um, application of this. If you, if you uh, want to try to understand judgment and the role God plays in it, it helps to know who he is, right? And one of the aspects of who he is, what he is, it, and we're talking essence, not things he does, 
is, uh, can be seen as significant in John chapter 3, where uh, it talks about that um, men love darkness rather than light. And that is the characteristic of judgment. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. And those that won't believe in him are judged already. So if you don't know that God is light, you're going to have to attribute to God some kind of cognitive motive to separate people out and make them that love darkness better than light get punished in some way. But if it's who God is, that's a whole different ballpark. And we're going to be able to talk about that and see in just a second. So this is light. And then here's the fourth one. But the fourth one has actually two instances. So God is fire. God is spirit. God is light. And God is love, love. And I like to emphasize that because it's mentioned twice. So here's the first instance, beloved, in 1 John 4, 7, 11. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay, so love is from God. Where does love come from? From God. From God. Uh, is, it, is love a, uh, a package that he gives? Is it a, a spiritual gift? Uh, you know, maybe. I mean, we'd be left to have to figure that out and guess, except there's more that's said here. So for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What does it mean? What does it mean, Pastor, to be born again? <laughs> well, I don't know. Let me pull out one of my many theological treaties, treaties, or whatever those things are called, and uh, and let me try to get a uh, explanation for you. Or I could just go, hmm. Sounds like here, love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. How do you know? You, how do I know that? This God I'm thinking about, I really know. Well, I don't know. Do you love people? Do you love your neighbor? See what I mean? How practical it can get? Now, it gets even better, though. The one who does not love God does not know God. Wow. For God is love. God doesn't do love, or at least he doesn't just do love as a byproduct of his sovereign will. He is love. God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us. <laughs> that God has sent his only son. What was manifest in, and where was it manifest? In you. In me. The love of God is not just something that is out here being extended to us. It is a part of who God is that is in us which is also true of the Spirit, right? Full of the Spirit. Wait until you're endued with power from on high. Matter of fact, being full of the Spirit, Sterling, in answer to your question, is a response to God's desire, God's promise to make us like Christ. Because the, the Acts 2 thing was called, wait until you receive the promise of the Father. He promised to put himself in us. Now, just because we, just because I can say that doesn't mean I actually know what all that means. But at least I know that it's worth pursuing. It's worth thinking about. It's worth looking about. 
Okay, light is the same way. If you'd remember this, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Do you know who else he said that about? Us. Spoken through the disciples. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. There you go. Now, in my experience later in my life as a pastor, I came to realize that not very many of the Christians that I knew, not very many of them, including the leaders, actually believe these things. And I understand and am sympathetic because these are big things to believe. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I can get behind that. He says, I'm the light of the world. Richard's the light of the world. Ronnie's the light of the world. Sterling is the light of the world. I would dare say this. We should, no, okay, yeah, I'll say it. Don't, don't take too much out of this. It's probably not fair if we call ourselves believers just because we believe that Jesus came and died. Now, I, I'm not saying that's not important to do, but I'm saying the package that he brought with the incarnation and his death includes stuff like you're the light of the world. So, I, I mean, be blessed and be encouraged for believing that Jesus died for you. Be more blessed believing that he lives in you. Believing that, that from the beginning of, of, of the creation, you were in the mind of the Father to be conformed to the image of the Son. And you were to be the light of the world. You were to be love. You were to be spirit. Uh, okay, God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's the second one. It's a little bit later in the same chapter. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Have any of you ever felt like that you have uh, believed or you know about it, but you don't believe it? Like somebody told you, Jesus loves you, and you accepted that? But when the chips were really down, when the rubber really met the road, and any of those other weird metaphors, you didn't really believe it because the evidence didn't seem like it matched it the way you were expecting it. We have come to know and to believe the love which God has for us. God is love. That's why I say love, love. And I think the Spirit did that on purpose. I think the Spirit did it on purpose. Can't prove that, but I think so. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. Jesus said something in John 15 that was always a puzzle to me in my life. He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. And I go, well, Lord, how, how do I abide in you? Where I came from at that time, when I was interested in that, I was Assemblies of God, had to do with making sure I was filled with the Spirit, making sure I was praying in tongues, making sure I was reading my Bible a lot, uh, and the whole idea of renewing my mind by memorizing Scripture and stuff like that. Not saying any of those things are bad. I'm saying, I don't know why it never dawned on me that it told me exactly <laughs> how to do it right here. Now, 
One of the reasons that I didn't take this any more seriously than any of the other discipleship things is I didn't associate what this says with who God is, but with what he wanted. But love is not something that God assigns as a task. Another thing that, that understanding that God is love, not just does love, completely changed the way I began to look at and helped me a ton, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because for the longest time in my Christian life and in everybody that I hung with, that was a, a list of how I was supposed to love people. And I could always measure my love and it would always come up short. And then when, when this reality, these aspects, this is God, when this reality dawned on me, I realized that 1 Corinthians 13 was not primarily written about me. It was primarily written about God. It's Paul, under the influence of God, who is love, describing God, who is love. So before you or I ever have to try to manifest 1 Corinthians 13, we need to understand that the way to manifest it is to let God, who lives in us, be himself. Because he's that way all the time. He's kind, he's gentle, he never fails. Now shake up your theology, but it's true. Uh, the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected within us so that we have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Why? Because he is love, and he is in you and me. And this completely takes away a bunch of weird, creepy, fearful, eschatological <laughs> doctrines. At, at the very least, if it's just darkness and punishment, you've got to think about it a second time. Because God is love, and he doesn't quit being love when the rapture happens. If the rapture happens. Because he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. How do I get perfected in love? Well, part of it is realizing this next verse. We love because he first loved us. Okay? Now, believe it or not, and you can, you can certainly study it out, you can get a concordance, uh, look up all the verb and the, and the nouns and all that kind of jazz, you can do it online. This is it. These are the only four nouns in the New Testament. There may be some in the Old Testament, uh, and I'm planning on making a study of those, but I haven't done it yet. But this is it. God is spirit. God is fire. God is light. And God is love, love. Only four. Love, love. <laughs> okay. Let's do the next one. So, here we are. Okay. Spirit, light, fire that consumes, and love, love. What I want us to do, and there's the mic, what I want us to do is I want to plug some things into here to understand or begin to think in terms of the significance of God being this and not just doing this. But before we do, I want to 
share something briefly in contrast. If you grab a theology book like Strong's uh, Systematic Theology or uh, anybody's, you're going to go to the Attributes of God section pretty early in the process, and you're going to hear that God is omniscient, omnipotent, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not saying that God doesn't know everything that can be known. And I'm not saying he's not powerful enough to do or move anything that can be moved. But I am saying that to discern who God is by those kind of philosophical abstractions is vastly inferior than to believe who he is that the Bible says. Now, I, I love theology, and I spent a lot of time studying that stuff, and I, I, I built all kinds of things, but one thing I came to understand is that when you build your image of who God is as omniscient, omnipresent, immutable, um, it, it, when you do that, you end up with a God that's way the heck out there in space, and he doesn't actually fit in the emotional chambers of your heart. And as a result, you're going to feel separation. You're going to be vulnerable to accusations of that separation. And, and I didn't know how to combat that, not in my own life and not in the life of pastor, people I pastored. But when I started thinking of God the way the Scripture talks about him, everything changed. Everything changed. So I read in Romans that uh, a spiritual man understands all things, but a carnal man, a natural man, everything's foolishness to him. He doesn't understand. Well, that fits right over here. So this aspect of God right here about being spirit versus natural, it solves the issue of carnality. I have a place... Not just in doctrine, not just in theory, not just an outline. I have a place in God that opens the door for spirit to overcome carnality. Because Jesus said something amazing in John 14. Tim's over at the conference, otherwise he'd be chiming in on this. He said, uh, in that day, that day when the spirits poured out on all flesh, he said, in that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. My spirit has a source and is supported in God. Okay? How about light? We talked about it a little bit there in John. Uh, light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Well, what's the cure to that? An encounter with God. Because he's light. He doesn't just shine light on stuff. He is light. Fire. This is one of my favorite ones that had a big, big impact. Nope, a lot of a lot of stuff up in my life, a lot of questions, confused some people around me, so on and so forth. Let me ask you a question. There's a lot of places in the Bible that talk about fire as it relates to judgment, cleansing, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of times the word hell is associated with that even though hell is not a word that's found in the Bible, but it's represented, sort of the concept of hell for most people is represented by Gehenna um, or Hades, one of those two. 
Um, there's a couple links in there. But irrespective of that, let me ask you a question. If it takes fire to purge sin and darkness out of a life, and God is fire, not only fire, but fire that consumes, why would he need another fire to purge sin and darkness out of your life? I am fire, and I'm going to make this lesser fire to try to do the job that fire does. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, if you don't know that God is fire, and here's the thing, if you don't believe these things, and, and, and you can check it out, but I'm telling you the truth. These are the four things that's, that God is, not what he does. You know, God's holy. Holy's an adjective. You know, all these other things are adjectives and adverbs. They tell who, what he's doing and how he does it and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying they're not bad, but you can't understand an adjective that is wrapped around my life if you don't know who I am and my essence. Because I'm not you necessarily, or you're not me. And so, you know, uh, Jason rides a bike. I can ride a bike. Hey, we must be exactly the same. No, we're not the same at all. <laughs> we're not the same at all. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm, I'm not a bike rider. Not really. And so my point is just that there's a, a huge advantage in being able to understand the, the outworkings of God and the outsayings of God once you settle the issue in your mind that he is who he is. He is who he is. Okay. So this fire, you know, when we have questions about, uh, that's weird. Judgment and hell. It's stupid to interpret those without taking into account that God himself is fire. So like in, in, second, uh, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about how every person's works are going to be judged. And there's only one foundation to build things on, and that's Jesus Christ. So everything that anybody builds in their lives, in their ministries, is going to be judged. And what he says is they're all going to pass through the fire. Again, who is that fire? What is that fire? I don't know that I have a definitive 100% answer, but what I do, I have the ability to ask a question. And the question is, if God is fire, why does he need to build another one to wrap up the ages. Now, does that make hell more or less of an intimidating thought? Hellfire. I think it makes it less intimidating and more serious because we're dealing with God here, not just some external throw-off that nobody can explain who's in charge of. Okay. Now, I don't want to make too big a case over there being two loves, two places where love is mentioned. But when you've only got four attributes and one of them is mentioned twice, it seems like it ought to be 
Foundational. Yeah. Foundational. Foundational. God is love. So what I want us to do is if you have anything uh, that, that is stirring in your mind about, so God is this, and he's all of these things. You understand that? He's all of these things. He's not love one minute and fire another minute and light another minute and spirit another minute. So the things that God does flow out of all four of these every time he does something. Because these are who he is, not what he does. So when he's silent, there's silence coming from these. When he says something, these all factor into it. Now, I'm not saying there can't be some emphasis and various things like that. I think that's, I think there can be. But one of the things I want you to understand is in the areas of discipleship, in the areas of discipline, in the areas of creation, in the areas of, uh, I don't know, worship, ministry, judging the nations, they all flow out of these things. And I, I, I happen to believe that because this is cited twice, that it, it serves as some kind of foundation. But I, I really want to be careful. I don't want to go too far that way. Because there's not a hierarchy of these things in God. God is those things. That's who he is. So is, is the thought of this and this would apply to you guys online too, is the thought of this stirring up any, any stuff in you, any, any questions, any thoughts? Uh, sometimes the, thing, the way it's helped me is, okay, Lord, I don't fully understand how it seems like you dealt with this group of people or whatever the case, but let me look at it through these lenses. So I want you to think about those things. If you have a question, we'll go ahead. I just can't get like the different instances of fire and you know God's being represented through fire in all these different ways, a burning bush, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That one would be pretty scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the tongue of flame and all these different things. It, it really makes me think quite a bit about, okay, what's God trying to say in that, that, it's almost like the tongue of fire and whether it's metaphoric or it's mm -hmm. something that people saw in the spirit or whatever that might be. It, it's, it's like, that's a gentle fire compared to all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about all consuming fire, but that's almost a juxtaposition to a, a bush that doesn't actually burn. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to wrap my brain around. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it doesn't automatically produce an instantaneous, oh, aha moment. But all of a sudden we're realizing when we're looking at these things and we're talking about these things, we're not talking about an external act just in a historic moment. We're talking about a manifestation of who God is in a place and with a people and with you and with me and time like that. Vicki? Well, you um, started off tonight, I think, in Hebrews 12 about being worshipers. Mm-hmm. And then you said, you know, if God is all four of those things. So you can't take them separately. And when you said 
uh, he's all of that. I just, I think I had a revelation. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, so you start with the spirit, because we worship him in spirit mm-hmm. and in truth. So you have the spirit of truth who sheds his truth on our sin, our works, mm-hmm. our lives, which leads us um, into that, the light. It, it, it's revealed, you know, the spirit shows it through the light. And then his fire consumes that through the lens of love. Mm-hmm. And so it's like we're just in that. And so our judgment and hell um, are all in the being mm-hmm. of who God is. Mm-hmm. And so, huh, I don't know. It just, so that for, was just something yeah, that just exactly. struck so let's, my heart. Let's, let's take the way we think about judgment. Um, the idea of, let's say, in the last days, people standing there, and there's a line, and the line's being managed by angels or men in linen or something. So there's their line, and they, they, you step up in front of God, and you get the old chick track kind of image going where God is this, like, faceless uh, being back there. Jesus is standing next to you as your, uh, what would that be called? A uh, appointed attorney, <laughs> the pro bono attorney that you get. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. That is totally not it. God, who is our Father, the Father of whom every family in heaven and earth names, is the one standing there, burning in flame, shedding almost unapproachable light, but you're able to approach it, and being completely aware of the reality of the realm of the Spirit. So now you look at a passage where it says, in Hebrews, for instance, that we, we all have to give an account to him, and we're going to pass before his eyes. All of a sudden, you got the whole package going on right there. But it's not a judicial system. It's not some kind of court type of deal. It's the Father. It's God. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the one who's drawing you to the Father, the Holy Spirit, right, who lives in you, poured out on all flesh, not just poured out on humanity, poured out on the ugly stuff. Joel said, the Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh. I read over that, just breezed by like it wasn't a significant word. Then I realized, oh my gosh, it's the part of me that's ugly, that's rebellious, that's sinful that the Spirit was poured out on. He wasn't just poured out on me when I was in good shape on Sunday between confessions. That's the one that is brought before God. That's the one to whom God is a consuming fire. Is he trying to consume us? Or is he trying to consume the stuff that stands between us and who we are? Well, again, I don't have all the answers right now, but this is a whole new way to think. It's relational and it's powerful. Richard. The whole uh, judgment thing and walking through the fire uh, becomes more palatable knowing that it's with the love. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I've experienced the love and I know what that's all about. Yeah. So um it takes away the scariness of it for me anyway. Yeah. You know, here's another one. I mean, this is probably less dramatic, but what about that whole idea of of, of judgment and knowing that light's part of the factor? 
How many of you have ever spent any time at all going, I know I've screwed up, but I don't know why or how. I can't figure it out. And once you start stepping away from just raw legalism where I have to follow the letter of the law, which the Bible says kills, <laughs> then I don't know why in the heck I'm even guilty sometimes. I know I am. Well, I can count on this because he's light. I will not walk through a judgment encounter and come out of it confused. Ignorant because light is going to set this thing right. Then when you start studying judgment, and what it means is illuminating things and lining them up in their proper place, all of a sudden, now you can begin to understand judgment better. And it's a process, and that's one of the things that this study of Hebrews has showed me. We're in a process. We're in a process becoming who we already have been made to be. Um. I kind of got to thinking and sort of praying, I guess, when Sterling mentioned the Holy Spirit, and obviously we think of Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost and things like that. And what immediately came to mind was a question for God, well, what does it look like in my life? I mean, Sterling's talking about these things we've read about, the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit, and I felt like God would say, well, look at the result. Um, Peter, who was one of these with these tongues of fire, What's, what am I after? What is the application? Acts 3.20, Peter tells them, in part, uh, this same Christ who you crucified. So these are the people who murdered Christ. Mm -hmm. So there's no greater judgment. You've murdered right. God's own son. We killed God. Yeah. So Acts 3.20b says, repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. In other words, God wasn't wanting to hurt him even though they murdered his son. And this is fascinating. This goes to the love thing. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And relating to what you sort of contrasted with traditional theology, man trying to fit God into man's framework that God's all-knowing. Times of refreshing reminded me of Adam and Eve in the garden. God did something amazing in the garden. He sat Adam down and marched the animals in front of him to see what he would name them. Mm-hmm. And that tells me that there's still an element of marvel and mystery inside God's heart. There is, absolutely. absolutely. Because when she sits down and names animals, it's one of the greatest things ever. Even when she mispronounces them. Matter of fact, that becomes the new pronunciation for uh -huh. us. Sure. That becomes the name. Yeah. Uh, so God was sort of walking me through, as Sterling mentions Pentecost. I was like, well, what's this? What's it all look like? And God said, okay, well, here. I want times where I want to walk with you through the cool of the garden again. Mm -hmm. That was taken away, and I miss it. Yeah. So that was kind of what... Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and again, it's not just something that God does. This is who He is. This is who He is. And so, I, again, there's never going to be any revelation that is often associated with light that is not going to also be motivated by love, that is not going to also carry the capacity to consume everything that is not of that revelation. And it's never going to only be on the outside, only surface, because God is spirit. So it's natural for him to look inside your heart and see the spirit, see the reality. Does that make sense? This is a big deal. This is who God is, and as a result, everything he does flows from this.
Not because he chooses to do that. God doesn't choose to be fire. He just is fire. So if you walk up with, uh, you know, tissue paper PJs, poof. Because <laughs> there's not going to be any of that in heaven. He's not going to quit being these things in heaven. We're going to quit being what these things aren't. Because he is in us and we're in him. Yes, sir. It, it actually makes me think that it's just, uh, let me turn myself up. Um, I don't really comprehend now how he made us into vessels. That's the best term I have mm -hmm. that can contain that. Yeah. That's really blowing my mind right now where I'm thinking, holy cow, like this is just, how do I take not just who God is, but then also try and figure out, okay, how does, how right. is that in me? You right, know? <laughs> right. Well, and you know, then, so, so this is what I mean by this kind of thinking actually begins to draw us into, it begins to draw us into a lot of uh, scripture that otherwise has just only kind of this weird, vague, metaphoric memory. Like in Ephesians 3, where it says, by the work of the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in our heart through faith. So you have the God, the Holy Spirit, who is spirit, light, fire, and love, love, working in us to make room for Jesus who is the incarnate spirit, light, fire, love, love. Jesus says, uh, oh, how I've longed to bring fire. I wish it was already kindled. Is that a judgment statement? Maybe. It, but it's also a love statement. It's also a light statement. And it's also a spirit statement. Anybody got any questions up there? Alan, yeah, I saw you leaning forward, but. Uh, when I do things or whatever, he's, he's telling me I'm all four of those things myself because he lives in me. And one of the questions he always gives me when I'm manifesting who I'm not is he says, that's not who you are, Al. So my thoughts, it's taking every thought captive and into obedience with Christ. So when I have negative thoughts, the Holy Spirit just simply says, Al, that's not who you are. Because of him in me and understanding now my identity in him. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's who I am. One thing that happens when you think this way and think the way you think, and we've talked some about it, I know you do, is all of a sudden things don't come at you as a list of things to do. And, you know, because we don't live in this kind of awareness all the time, and we don't live in the, in the awareness that we're, that we're trying to manifest something that's real in us, a statement that you just throw out here on earth, like, that's not who you are, might be interpreted as kind of a manipulative statement or shame statement. But, but when it comes from the one who sees everything as it is, God looks at you and he goes, that's not who you are. Here's an example of that. Think about the woman caught in adultery, taken before Jesus. You know, and it's one of my favorite stories because I know that God hates adultery. 
you can uh, see that in the Ten Commandments. But I know that God loves adulterers. And I know that freaks people out. But he does. And he does because he's spirit, light, fire, and love, love. Do you think that because Jesus was this to that woman, that when he said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. How many of you think she just ran out the next evening and bedded down with some other guy? There's not a chance. There's not a chance. Because the revelation of who she was that came through the encounter with who he was, Jesus was, is the stuff of transformation. That's how we go from being immature to mature. And that's exactly, I mean, it, it's stunning, you guys. It's stunning. And if it's always a set of rules out there, we're always going to be working them out somehow. But when it's, okay, here's another passage of Scripture that gets illuminated by, by Al, what you just said. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, toward the end there, and in and, and 4, it talks about it. It was God who declared that the glory would be revealed in us in the face of Christ. We behold as in a mirror the glory, and we are transformed from glory to glory, not from rule to rule. I'm okay with rules. If I can figure out, hey, it's stupid to do that, I won't do it. That's good. But that's not the life. That's not, that's not why. The rule that couldn't even exist if there wasn't reality behind it. Rules don't bring transformation. They measure the transformation that's going on. This is amazing. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Just grab the mic there. That was great, Alan. Thank you, buddy. Oh, I was just going to add two more parts. Well, not just parts, but aspects of God, that uh -huh. him being, to add to those two, like God is the way and the truth. Uh -huh. So it's not he has truth. So I was just going to yes, Okay, yeah, this is great. This is something that Jesus manifests directly. I'll look at those and see if those are... Uh, uh, nouns sure sounds like truth would be you know uh, it's also difficult to uh, put into words what it's like to be told something that doesn't produce shame in you even though what it was was wrong I think those instances where where the Lord says this is not who you are I think that we could learn a lot about judgment from those moments. And we could start to explore in conjunction with the Holy Spirit who is in us and who is spirit, light, fire, and love, love. We could start to explore that and not feel like we were betraying something by saying, is judgment really God being offended, folding his arms, rocking back behind a desk, and hurling a, a sentence at us? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I used to feel bad about not thinking so. I felt like I was walking on thin ice, you know, and, and uh, going to fall in one of those fire pits that God made outside of himself or something. And I'm not trying to be flippant about this stuff, guys. 
I'm just saying that, that images of those things that are not who God is do not have the power to shape and guide your life. Not really. Because they appeal to the, the natural thought, the carnal thought. They don't appeal about who God is. They don't. They don't have the power to reach into your spirit. They don't have the power to bring real illumination. And they don't have the power to release love. And, quite frankly, they don't have the power to burn the thing out of you that is confusing in the first place. But he does. So, that's the best I got today. But I just, I just loved it that in all of the potential confusion that a read through the book of Hebrews could do, when it talks about Christ has already forgiven you, God doesn't remember your sin anymore, now d stop sinning, lay aside the sin, uh, don't complain when the Father disciplines you. you know, all of that can be confusing, but it gets less confusing at the very, very least when we realize that God is not doing things. He's being who He is. Our Father, the Spirit, is this. The incarnate King, Jesus, is this. I'm going to dig into the, the John 14 too. That's good. That's good. Okay. Any last thoughts or anything before we go? We are made in His image. That's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Yeah, we're made in His image. And that has to mean something. <laughs> that has to mean something. We're not like just a little cheap plastic replica, you know. There's something more internal, something more core. We're made in His image. That's why the Spirit searches the things of a man. Because we're built that way. That's why we're the light of the world. Yes, sir. They, um, I was watching the, the news and they captured the young man that had uh, beaten this guy that was uh, pulled him out of the mm -hmm. truck and I didn't know they had kicked but... him, beat him, and as I was as I was reading his bio because uh, he had been arrested many times before and so forth I'm thinking God I, he's got this in him I know so what happened what what caused something to go wrong to where he has this desire now to just rebel and to um, take out all this anger and so forth on others and it's just uh, anyway I was I was just thinking of that and how God still loves him and how yeah. his he just goes after him. Um, and how he's with, yeah. with him. See, these are hard things to understand because, because, um, because we, look at, we look from the outside. Paul said, we no longer know any man from the flesh. Well, thank God that, that God's in us. We can do that. I feel like next week I ought to follow up with this a little bit. Uh, a gal named Katie Scourge has a ministry called uh, Imago Dei. And she uses a big, you guys have seen those big crystal diamonds, about yay big, they're beautiful. And the basic gist of her min uh, ministry is how much, poo, if, how much poo do you have to put on the outside of a diamond to change its value, its, its core value. 
And the answer is, there's no amount of poo you can put on the outside to change its value. Poo can't change a diamond's value. It can sure make it hard to see, though. It can make it messy to get to. That's why we have a father who disciplines us, because he knows we're sons. It'll mess with you. I'm telling you, it'll mess with you. But this is the truth. This is who God is. And um, when we start looking for the glimmers of who he is around us and in our own life, we are in a position to see reflected in the face of Jesus the glory of the gospel. And we'll transform. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you, Lord, that you place value. You know the value. And saying to us, as a part of discipline, as a part of love, my son, my daughter, that's not who you are. I thank you also that there is power when you, when you meet us in the midst of our sin, like you did the woman, caught in the very act. I'm not thinking they're lying about that. They probably didn't. She was. And yet there you stood manifesting light where there was only darkness for them to put on display and where love, love won the day. You shine light back in their life. Oh, go ahead. You without sin cast the first stone. And she was in your fire, in your presence through that whole ordeal. That's why I believe when you said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, that there was transferred, awakened in her a power that she had not yet experienced. So I thank you for it, Father. I thank you that this is who you are, and I pray just along the course of our discipleship, along the course of our growing and our walking with you and serving, that you would continue to bring up these realities. This is who you are. And that we would begin to understand the questions and the answers in this light. That we would see each other in this light, especially with the reality that you live in us. That we would overcome the fear of our own heart being so dark that we can't trust it. Because... You moved in, and you brought spirit, and you brought light, and you brought fire. And so the things which are hidden can be exposed. The things which are attached to our flesh can be severed, and our spirit can take charge. And every one of those acts manifests your love. We trust you. We want to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Bless you guys. I love you. Bless you guys. I love you. Everybody's saying bye. Bye. Give them a crowd shot, Riley. Bye. Have a great weekend. Good night, Good everyone. Hey, Jason. All right. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Bless your hates. Bye-bye.